This is PhotoBizX episode number 539 and today we are talking law, legal advice, what you have to have in place as a photographer when you are protected, when you're not protected, how much it costs to work with a lawyer, what you need to have in your contract, what to do if someone breaches your contract and so much more. Our special guest is Australian solicitor or lawyer, if you prefer, Tracy Myler Crane, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here, host of the Photo Biz X podcast, where I interview guests from around the world to help you build a better photography business, even faster than going it alone. I know you're going to love what Tracy has to share today, and I'm not going to give you the big prelude about this is not legal advice. I'm going to leave that for Tracy for later. But what I will say is, yes, Tracy is an Australian-based solicitor or lawyer. Those two terms are interchangeable. So she is versed in Australian law. But that's not to say that if you are based in the UK, Canada, the United States, or even Europe, you won't get a ton from what Tracy has to share today. Because I did ask her questions that would be applicable to you wherever you are based in the world. And we also cover how you can find a solicitor for your business closer to where you live if you want to pursue the things that Tracy talks about in today's episode. Now, I will also say I did try to coordinate an interview with three different solicitors at the same time from different parts of the world. And it just became too much of a nightmare with time zones and diaries of all four participants. But I've got to say, Tracy was the absolute pick of all the solicitors I did reach out to. So I am wrapped to have her for us for this episode today. Now, in saying that, if you do love what Tracy has to share and you are based somewhere other than Australia, and you would like to hear from a solicitor in your location, let me know. Give me some feedback on today's episode. Or is what Tracy shared enough to get you where you need to be in regards to the law and operating as a photographer in your location? I really do want your feedback to know if I should go on and pursue other lawyers in different areas of the world to get their view and how they can help you and your business. Now, before we do get into this interview with Tracy, If you haven't caught last week's episode, it was with who has become a regular guest, John Glazer of John Glazer Photography. We went into Facebook ads deep as usual because John is spending $4,000, I want to say a month, but I think it's a week, $4,000 a week on Facebook ads. Whatever it is, it's an incredible amount of money. Of course, it's paying for itself because he has a a very successful business. In fact, he's hit over a million US dollars in revenue for this year already. But we also talk about so much more, including why he wants to diversify his marketing away from Facebook ads, even though they are so successful. We get into what's working, what's not with those ads, what's working, what's not in other marketing strategies. And the feedback from members following that interview are positive as always. So make sure you get in and have a listen to that one. Also, if you have ever considered a workshop and you're looking for an incredible place to go for a workshop, John talks about his up and coming workshop in New York City, which I believe is January, planned for January 2024. So if you've ever wanted to visit New York, 
have it as a tax write-off and go and learn from a very successful business operator, go and check out that workshop with John Glazer. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. One last thing before we jump into this interview with Tracy, uh, the Qualify Your Leads Like a Pro training, the course, the masterclass, if you like, will be happening this week, this Thursday, Australian Eastern Time. I've got links to your time zone if you do still want to register and sign up for that training. Look, the important point is if you know how to generate leads, but you want to get better at qualifying those leads to reduce the no sales that you're getting to get your clients or your prospective clients excited about their photo session, about purchasing products, wall art, albums, etc., before they actually have the session, to actually weed out who the best prospective clients are from your leads, then you do not want to miss this training with Audra Harris. She does this for a living. You can actually hire her if you're based in the US to do your lead qualification and calling for you. She has a team around her that she has trained to do exactly what she does. So if you want to learn from an absolute pro, this is the training for you. Or you may want to train one of your staff or have someone that you outsource this to directly. You can have them come and do the training on your behalf. So that training is happening this Thursday morning. The cost is $197 US dollars. It doubles after this Thursday. So you need to get in before then. And if you do register before the live training goes ahead, I'm also going to gift you access to the original Facebook ads course. Yes, it has been updated since its inception. Although I will add there is one recent change on Facebook that has just come about where you can't target people who live in a location anymore. I don't know why Facebook has done this. The only option now in regards to location-based targeting is for people that live or have recently visited or been in a location. So it's still pretty good, but there has been that change. Now, I don't know if that's a privacy thing, if that's why Facebook has done this. I'm not sure why, but that is one of the changes that I haven't updated yet inside the Facebook ads course, but I will get to that. Otherwise, the rest of the content in that course is as relevant today as it was the day it was presented. In fact, John Glazer is using similar copy to what we talk about in that ads course still today. And he's spending, like I said, $4,000 a week on his ads. So again, you get access to that if you register for the lead qualification course this week. If you already have access to the Facebook ads course, you can gift that to another photographer friend of yours. I'm going to give you some instructions on how you can do that after the live training. So you get all that in addition to the incredible training that Audra is going to be delivering on Thursday. You'll get access to the standalone course if you can't make the live call and you get to lock that in at that special price before it doubles on Thursday. To get more details about that, check out the show notes for today's episode or go to photobizx.com forward slash qualify. You're listening to Photo Biz Exposed with your host, Andrew Helmich. Alrighty, let's jump into this interview with Tracy Myler Crane. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Tracy. I am saving a large portion of the second half for premium members only. The good news is you can access the full interview for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. And you can get more details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash try. 
Straight Eye for Business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is a business and litigation lawyer, podcaster, and legal expert for small business owners. And she says on her website, I'm a confidently unconventional business lawyer with a no BS attitude. I support business owners who are ready to build legally protected businesses. She's active all over social media. She looks like she's worked with a professional photographer in the past and covers a variety of topics on her podcast, which is titled Rise Up in Business, the law and business podcast for small business owners. She's earned a double degree in law and management at the University of Canberra, lectures in law, and has 20 years of experience under her belt, with 12 of those years specialising in litigation and dispute resolution. I'm talking about Tracy Mylocrane, and I am wrapped to have her with us now. Tracy, welcome. Andrew, thank you for having me and thank you for such a lovely introduction. The listener can't see you. You don't look old enough to have all that experience. <laughs> you are now my new favourite person, Andrew. <laughs> so tell me about your business. Like, Where are you based? What do you actually do? I am Sydney and Canberra based. That said, my business is virtual. It was virtual. I launched this virtual business before COVID. So that was dumb luck on my part, but geez, it worked well in terms of timing. I'm a business lawyer and I help business owners set themselves up so they don't need to call a lawyer like me later when things go wrong. As you've just said in the intro, I spent the first 12 years of my career in litigation and dispute resolution. And what that meant was I was acting for business owners who were sued or who were suing somebody else. And I did that day in, day out for 12 years. So that's great when you're a hell of a lot younger and you have no life outside of work because it's the most intense and stressful practice area that you could possibly choose. Fast forward though, when I've I really did draw on all of that time and thought, gosh, this is intense. This is stressful. It's really not where I want to be energetically. This is not where I want to be spending my time. So I flipped it. I flipped it around and thought, what am I going to do with all this experience and put it to use in a better way? And that's where this business model came from. I'm going to use all of what I've seen go wrong and I'm going to educate and empower business owners to set themselves up so they don't end up like the clients that I acted for in those earlier years. Right. So does that mean today you're no longer in court or you just try and stay out of court? I try very hard to stay out. <laughs> right. And because you're a solicitor, a lawyer, um, first of all, is there any difference between those two terms? None whatsoever. Okay. So because you're a lawyer and I'm going to be asking you questions, do you have to give some kind of uh, you know, community announcement saying, hey, the information that I share is just general in nature? It depends what I share. So sometimes I do, sometimes I won't. What I will say on this podcast, Andrew, because I know that you have a, a variety of listeners in all, all different places all over the world, the information that I give is anchored in Australian law. So I offer guidance and practical tips and best practice when it comes to operating your business. Those pieces of advice are all transferable because it relates to business. But when I talk specifically about law, the consumer law, legal obligations, it really is anchored in in Australia. And obviously, I'm not providing tailored advice for a client on here because I don't have a client sitting in front of me giving me this specific scenario. So I'm just sharing information based on my experience. Right. So in saying that, if there's a listener in the US, the UK or Canada, can they still take 
what you share and utilize that or apply it to their own business or they have to be very very careful if they do that no they can a lot of what we say is very general in nature and it's good business practice so there is a hybrid with what i do being a business lawyer running my own business the guidance and information and useful resources that i provide relate to how you run a business Sure, some of it's anchored in law as well. You don't need to be that careful, though, to answer your question. If we're talking contracts, we're talking processes and systems, we're talking setting yourself up for success with clients, you can do that anywhere. Right. That makes sense. Now, I said in the intro, it looks like you've worked with a photographer in the past, just judging by the photos on your socials. Is that correct? Yes, it is. I work with two photographers. I have one Canberra-based photographer and one Sydney-based photographer. Right. So tell me, when you hired them, did you sign a contract or any kind of contract or agreement with them? With one, I did. It was a very good agreement. With the other, I didn't because he didn't have one, but he does now because I did one for him. <laughs> so for the one that didn't, was he, was he, I think you said he, was he opening himself up to dramas later on by not having an agreement with you? Well, I like to think not with me because I operate in good faith and I like to think that I'm a person of my word. But I suppose everyone says that, don't they? He is a very lovely and trusting fellow and he didn't realise, it was just a classic, you don't know what you don't know. He didn't realise what he needed in place and why. Because he's a good person, really good person, he would not do the wrong thing by somebody else. So he just assumed other people wouldn't do the wrong thing by him. Enter Tracy to explain to him why that's not necessarily the case and why he is exposed by not having an agreement in place Despite best efforts and despite your best intentions, we can't control what happens in another person's life. We can't control how another person will perceive things or how they will conduct themselves. So as a business owner, we need to be protected to make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success with clients. And I don't mean that people need to become malicious or become intentional around wanting to do the wrong thing, Andrew. It can genuinely be misaligned expectations where You say one thing, client hears something else, they think it means something else, they've made an assumption and it's not until a little bit later down the track when you've started providing your gallery for them to have a look at, when you've issued your first invoice or when you've issued your final invoice or how many edits or touch-ups they might get. It's not until that point where misaligned expectations can rear their head and that's when things can become awkward and tricky, whereas if you've got documentation in place, that can be avoided. Right. So, I mean, my understanding of the law and photography or photographers is that in Australia, as a photographer, if I take a photo out on the street, I own the copyright. But if I'm commissioned to do a shoot or paid to do a shoot by a client, they automatically own the copyright unless I have them reassign that copyright to me. So is that the kind of contract or agreement you're talking about with this photographer that like if he didn't have that in place then you basically own those photos that's a gray area so you're half right in the sense that usually the person who owns the copyright is the person who clicked the camera in simple terms that's usually where it sits unless there's an agreement otherwise but there can still be gray areas an area for dispute or misunderstanding if you're commissioned. It depends. What are you commissioned for? For what purpose? By whom? What are the circumstances? And typical lawyer speak, what are the circumstances? We need to look at it on a case-by-case basis. We need to take into account all of the conversations that were had 
to determine who would actually own that copyright. For example, if you're commissioned and there's no agreement and you attend the shoot, you take the images, you do your thing, you hand over the images to the client and then you see your images in a month's time but they don't look the same. They've been touched up by somebody else. They took them to another photographer. This is where it can get really murky because what did the agreement say? It wasn't one. So you've assumed that you have handed over your images and that you still own the underlying copyright, but that the client has paid for the license to use them for the intended purpose. The client assumes, because it wasn't written anywhere otherwise, I've paid for them. I can do what I want. This is where we start finding photographers end up in potentially awkward situations because you as the photographer took the images, which means when the client's putting them out into the world, people are associating them with you. But yet that's not reflective of your standard of work and you're not happy with it. Potentially that could damage your reputation. Yeah, that's that's fair. And that would happen, I guess, probably more often than not, more often with a wedding photographer uh, you know, more so maybe a portrait photographer, probably less so with commercial photographers, but certainly it certainly could. So when you sign or when you set up an agreement for a photographer, do you need to know what kind of photography they're doing or can it be more general with those agreements? Well, let me put it this way. As the photographer who's running their own business, your photography agreement or your client service agreement or your business terms and conditions, whatever you want to call it, whatever's on brand for your business, is going to be the most important document you have in your business. Now, the reason for that is because it manages the expectations between you and your client. And in that agreement, it will detail what type of photography it is. What is it that you're doing? What are you responsible for? What are you not responsible for? Who owns the copyright? What are the terms of the license that's been granted? What's the position in terms of reproduction, reproducing these images? What is the intention around those things? It's all set out in there to support you as the business owner. Set yourself up for success with your client because you want happy clients. You want good word of mouth. That's how you're building your brand and you're building your business. What you don't want is a client who's disgruntled at the end because despite best intentions, they were just genuinely confused and misunderstood what they could or couldn't do with the images that they paid for. Right. I mean, that makes sense. But what I get worried about then is if I have a solicitor write up this agreement that is going to be written like my house contract is written and I can't understand the bloody thing that it says. So if I give that to a client, I say, there you go, there's the agreement, can you sign that? And he or she's like, well, what does all this mean? Yeah. Like, does it have to be written like that? No. You said at the beginning when you introduced me, unconventional lawyer with a no BS attitude, and that's exactly how I roll. A legal document for your business needs to be, as far as I'm concerned, an extension of you. It needs to be branded. It needs to look like you. It needs to sound like you. It doesn't need to sound like your really smart lawyer down the road who you paid God knows how much for. It can be in layman's terms, as it should be. I've had clients say to me, I don't want a lawyer drafted contract. I want to use a template because they're really easy to understand. And, you know, I just bought one for a hundred bucks and it's great and it's really short and it's three pages. (sighs) And to which I say, three pages, it's probably worthless. You still have to have certain things in it for it to be a contract. That's just the law. I won't go into all the things. You don't need to know it, but there's certain things that do have to be in there and they have to be in there for certain reasons. 
contract law, what constitutes a contract and things like that. You go down the road to your traditional lawyer at the big law firm that you pay lots of money for because they've got really fancy reception and office and things like that. And you might start with a 42-page document that no one knows what to do with. To that, I say, no, don't do that. There's a middle ground. And that middle ground is something that really ought to be sitting around that eight to 10 pages, spaced out nicely, easy to read, plain English. The intent of it, whenever I'm sitting down to draft something, is that by the time your client's finished reading it, because they do read it because it's easy, they're impressed and they really want to work with you. It's not off-putting. It's not a long lawyer document. It is not your house contract. No one can read those. Tracy, I've still got to say, I took a bit of a a gasp when you said eight to 10 pages. Like That to me still sounds like a lot because my understanding and in my own business, uh, I'll put my hand up here, like my wedding contract is one page. Admittedly, it's quite small copy as one page. My portrait agreement is on like an A5 piece of paper. (laughs) Well, to that I say, first of all, I cringe at those really small fonts and probably got two columns and it's really tiny. I mean, are you proud of that? This is what I say to clients. Are you proud of that when you issue it? It's not something to be really proud of. Oh my gosh, I got my contract down to a page. Aren't I great? I'm doing my clients such a service by keeping it really short. You're not actually. And I'm talking go to woe. So that's with a model release if it's needed as your next year. And that's with your cover page. It's branded. Your documents when you send them should be something that you are really proud to issue because they are on brand and they're an extension of your business and you're proud of them. And then when your clients receive them, clients don't think, oh, who is this photographer giving me an agreement to read? Oh, I don't have time for this. Clients don't think that. They will if you give them 42 pages, (laughs) but you won't do that. But what they think is when they read it, they receive it, they go, oh, this looks good. Huh, it's not your usual contract. And they start reading it. Yeah, oh, great. Oh, yeah, okay, great. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Good. Oh, Stella, okay. And you've left an impression. That makes sense. Look, I do. I believe you. You're selling me on this idea of a you know a multi-page contract, especially when you said that it can be written like my my website, like the way I'm branded. So can I really like can I include stories or examples and things? Like, can I write it like a blog post? Well, it depends how you write your blog posts. You can use examples. Examples can be really helpful to provide context and clarity. My view with drafting is that they should be on brand, they should be easy to read, and they should be written with a lens of crystal clear clarity so that by the time the client gets to the end, it all makes sense. Let's go. Yes, please. Let's go ahead. And it's something that, like I keep saying, you need to be proud of. And I stand by that. And the reason I say this, though, there is context, Andrew. I don't just come out and say this, I'm a business lawyer, I do contracts, therefore you need a contract. It actually makes no difference to me whether you have a contract or not. It makes a difference to you. In all of those years of litigation, that was 12 years of litigation, so that's business owners in dispute with each other, usually over money, sometimes other things too. Those were years where I got to see the best and worst of people. And when it comes to what can go wrong in business, honestly, hand on heart, I don't think there's anything I haven't seen now. But the kicker is most of what I saw back then could have been avoided if business owners had have had the right advice and the right documentation in place. It's that simple. And because of that, and some of it was quite serious, businesses were destroyed, 
livelihoods were destroyed. I had a grown man sitting across my desk from me one day who broke down in tears because he had to go home and tell his wife he'd lost the family home. Wow. That's a sticking point in my mind. That could have been avoided. He didn't get legal advice on a document that he signed and it was missing a core provision in relation to a partnership that he was involved in. So we don't know what we don't know, but that's why there's people out there like me who are approachable who aren't that boring, traditional, stuffy, oh, my gosh, I don't want to talk to a lawyer. They're so boring. They're so dry. They're arrogant. Yeah, they're all those things, of course, but you get that everywhere. But there's also some that are down to earth and approachable and and that you can talk to and ask the questions, and you need to find one that you gel with. I'm not the lawyer for everybody. Some people don't like me. I'm okay with that. But what you see is what you get. And so the important thing is to find someone that you do gel with, that you can ask questions with, and someone who you can say, sorry, this agreement's just not feeling right. It's not landing for me. It just still feels too stuffy. That's fabulous feedback. You keep working at it and you get it just right so that you're really comfortable. So by the end of the process, you're loving your eight pages. And you're thinking, gosh, this is really up-leveled and I'm so glad that my font's a lot bigger now and I've got my branding there and it's really easy to read. So now, wow, don't clients, aren't clients just chuffed with how professional I am, but at the same time, how easygoing I am and how my documents are also easygoing and easy to read. Right. That makes sense. I love this. So let's say I have this eight-page document, my contract. And I'm sitting down with a client and they, they don't like something in there. And I agree, okay, yeah, for you, um, I'm going to take that out. Can I literally just strike that out and initial it? And is that the legal way to do it? Yeah, that's the legal way to do it. That's valid. If you do that, yes, that's valid. And if you have a good relationship with your lawyer, you will have spent time in the drafting process so that you know what you're striking out and that you know it's okay. And if you don't know, You can quickly pick up the phone or send an email to ask the question and you have a lawyer who answers the phone or responds to emails without sending you a bill for six minutes perusal and gives you the answer really quickly and you can go ahead with confidence and do it. Yes, you can absolutely be flexible like that with your clients. Right. Okay, great. And now on behalf of the small business owner, which is trying to save some dollars where they can, which I guess is most of us or all of us, would it be normal or possible to, say, be photographing multiple genres, say weddings, portraits, and some commercial work and have one contract? Or is that just not possible? No, you can. You can if it's done properly and creatively. So the way I work with my clients is I always sit down and have a conversation at the start, which is tell me about your business and what do you do and how does that work? Okay. And so how do you issue? Do you issue quotes? Have you got standard packages? How do clients know what they're getting? What do you do? So I always spend some time to understand that, to work out what I can put into the same agreement. Sometimes we don't actually have to have agreements that are signed, by the way. You can actually have a contract that isn't signed. For example, I have clients who offer a couple of different services and they tailor a proposal or a quote let's call it a quote, they tailor their quote depending on which service. And we've designed their terms and conditions, so their contract, but their terms and conditions, we've designed them in such a way that they're essentially a PDF document. And the quote is also something that I've designed, which means it's read hand in hand. So together they form the contract. And so that means if you're providing wedding, then you set out A, B and C in your quote, but that means that clause... X, Y, and Z won't apply, but that's okay. We don't need to do anything with it. But if you're doing a photo shoot, you provide a quote that deals with 
these things and the same terms apply. So you've only got one set of terms. So what happens is with those types of scenarios, my client will send out, say, hey, Tracy, great to chat. Thank you. Here's the quote for what we talked about. Have a read. Let me know if you've got any questions. If you're happy with the quote, read my terms and conditions that are attached. If we move forward, you'll be agreeing to those terms and conditions. Let me know if you've got any questions. So the person goes away, they have a read, fantastic, and they write back. Hey, Andrew, thanks very much. Um, Happy with that. Please proceed. That is the point that the contract is formed and no one had to sign anything. So we've done that. Everybody's business is different, which is why I am very much an advocate for not using templates. We can come to that later. But that's why your business, your services, the way you operate, your T's and C's, your terms and conditions, read in conjunction with your quotes, the only thing you have to change is your quote. Depending on the nature of the service, you don't need to have three big long contracts. You might get it wrong one time and issue the wrong one and then we're in a whole world of difficulty when things don't pan out. So we like to keep it simple. We like to make sure that whatever it is that we implement can integrate into the way you already do business. We don't want to complicate things. And there's always more than one way to skin a cat. So we really need to understand what you do, how you do it, what we want to achieve here with these documents. That is amazing. I mean, my next follow-up question was going to be, do I need, you know, some PDF signing software or some kind of additional app to have people sign something? But wow, I didn't know could do that. You don't need to do it. Some business owners are wedded to the signing. Some love it. They say, no, Tracy, I'd like to have a document that needs to be signed because to me, that's buy-in by the client. I want them to know they've committed. And that's really important to me that they actually take that step to make that commitment. I fully respect that. I understand completely. Others say, holy dooly, I have got Buckley's of following up people, issuing through DocuSign, getting them to sign it. I don't know. I'm no organization's not my strength. I don't have a VA yet. So we make sure that whatever we do is going to work for that business owner. And everyone's different. Unreal. Like I said, I didn't even know that was a possibility. So that is amazing to hear. I don't know if you know, but is that possible in other countries? I won't say yes or no. I don't know. You definitely need to get advice from somebody locally in terms of any specific legislative contract provisions in those countries. Sorry. Right. Okay. Got it. I don't know if you heard that uh, you talking there. I just clicked onto one of your reels on Instagram because you talk about in uh, one of your recent reels about the three most important legal documents you need for your small business. One of those is the terms and conditions or the client service agreement, which we've been talking about. Then you talk about the website terms and conditions and also the privacy policy. Yeah. Now, to me, probably way off face here, but I mean, a privacy policy, like, does anyone even read those? Like, what what are they for? (laughs) Look, good question. So, in Australia, there's actually legislation, Commonwealth legislation called the Privacy Act. And in it, it says certain businesses need to have a privacy policy that disclose certain things. Currently, there are exclusions. So, there's exceptions for small business to say you don't actually have to do it yet. That legislation is under review, has been for some time, and one of the recommendations is that those exceptions be removed for small business owners so that everybody has to have one. The reason is people are quite rightly becoming really protective around what data they share with businesses, particularly online. And the legislation says that if you have a contact us page on your website where they can leave an inquiry, personal data can be as much as a name and an email address, which triggers 
the privacy legislation. So sure, that exists, and we can talk about that for a very long time. I suspect you and everybody else will find that dreadfully dull. What I say to that is this. Yes, people are reading them. People are looking for them. These policies build trust and credibility with your audience. So if you have a website because you're a small business, that means you want traffic. You want clients to come to your website and have a look at your work, decide whether it resonates and reach out if they'd like to have a chat. What a lot of people are doing, and I get this feedback from, well, clients who come along and and business owners, is they scroll to the bottom of the website and they have a look. Is there a link here for website terms and conditions? And is there a link here for a privacy policy? And this is more prevalent probably over the last 12 to 18 months. Everyone's doing a lot more online and people are educating themselves and people are being more cautious. Some feedback I get is if I see, I'll be very transparent here, Andrew, if I see that there's a link for website terms and conditions and a privacy policy, that's really good. I won't necessarily click on it and read it, but I know that this is a serious business owner and I continue forth. But given they don't dive in and read it, others will dive in and have a look. I don't know what they're looking for necessarily, but they dive in and and have a look. I always do. You know that. You know I would. I I dive in and have a look because it tells me a lot about that business because some copy and paste from other sites and they don't do a very good copy and paste job and they've still got links to other sites and things. That tells me a lot about the business and I won't do business with them. But some of the feedback I get is when I scroll to the bottom, if there's no privacy policy or there's no website terms and conditions, that either tells me that the person doesn't know they need them, so I query how professional they really are, or it says they couldn't be bothered. And again, is that someone I want to be engaging? I'm sure that's not everyone. I'm sure some people don't care. I'm sure people listening to this might be thinking, gosh, I'd never even thought to look at it, but I bet you do now. Mm -hmm. You'll go and have a look. Yeah, I I know that I have to have a privacy policy for running some of the ads that I run on Facebook and Instagram. So that was a given. I certainly never read them. I mean, I read mine when I set it up and that was it. So I'm I'm like the people that you referred to that go and check there's one there and then move on. And that might be okay. Okay. So why then in that case, would I ever hire a solicitor to draw one of those up rather than using a template? Yeah, and I, and I mean, and I mean a, a purchase template, not just yeah. copied and pasted. Yeah. Well, if it depends. So it depends what you want to achieve with them. So it depends if you're someone who's really proud of their documents and I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. I want all my I's dotted and I want all my T's crossed and I want to make sure that it's there and it's right and it's tailored to my business and that if someone lands on it and reads it, that I'm leaving a good impression. Now, it might be one time out of 20 that somebody reads it, but that might be your ideal client. You might have used a template which actually doesn't fit with your business and you might have just lost that client, but you'll never know. So my question is, is it worth it? Why wouldn't you? So when I talk about the three core documents, what I say is those business T's and C's, which we've just had a discussion about, your website T's and C's and your privacy policy, they're your core trio of documents to comply with all of your legal obligations and give yourself the protection you need when you're building your business and you're building trust and credibility with your audience. If you don't ever do anything else with legal documents going forward in your business, you've got peace of mind that you're okay because you've got those core documents in place and you don't have to come back to them anymore unless you change your offerings, going to launch an online course or a membership or something like that. That's when we need to deal with them. But they're the core documents. So my question is when someone says, well, do I need them? When I explain what they're for and what they do, my question then is why wouldn't you have them? And there's never a good answer. 
True, true. What about website T's and C's? That's something I, I don't think I've even considered. I don't think I've even noticed those on a lot of websites. Like what's an example of a term and condition? So your website terms and conditions are the rules that govern what people can and can't do on your website and with your material. So a big one for photographers is people copying their work. So, you know, you're you're putting your portfolio there, you're demonstrating your work, people come along, they resonate, they reach out, that's how you nurture your audience. What if somebody copies your images and goes and uses them elsewhere? Two things to say. One is sometimes you may never know. That's the end of that conversation. But two is sometimes you will and then you have got, you've got a more substantive cease and desist letter to issue then because, yes, you're still protected by the Copyright Act in Australia, but if you're writing to someone to say, hey, I've just been alerted to the fact that you've been copying and pasting my images or screenshotting or downloading my images and using them, stop it, they're mine, and my website terms and conditions made it very plain that by having them there I was not transferring copyright and giving you the right to do that. So you've got the protection of the Copyright Act and you've got your website terms and conditions. That's probably the most common use is the intellectual property provision in those website terms and conditions. You set out for people what your general disclaimers are. If you've got a blog, if you're sharing information, if you're putting up videos, general information only, guys. If you're a photographer who's telling people how to set up for a great shoot or here's my tips and tricks for this, can't come back and sue me later or make a complaint or ask for some type of compensation because it didn't work for you. It's just a general disclaimer. So we will put those types of things in our website terms and conditions. And then whatever else you're doing on that website is covered in those terms and conditions as well. It could be PDF download, your lead magnet or a freebie. It could be some eBooks that are for sale. It could be a course or a program. It could be a membership or some type of subscription. It could be a whole host of things. They're all covered in the website T's and C's. And the answer to your question around why wouldn't you use a template for that is because you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know how much of what's in that template actually applies to your website or if it's adequate given what you do on your website. Got it. All right. I'm going to come back and ask you about liability in just a second. Um, But you talked about the cease and desist letter, which I think it's a term or something that we're all familiar with as photographers, and that we are somewhat or we're protected by the Copyright Act if we have those terms and conditions on our website. What if we post to Instagram or Facebook or TikTok and then the local newspaper uh, takes that content and uses it or a local magazine or another business? Are we protected in any way there? Premium members of PhotoBiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. And I I know this is a difficult question to answer, but I expect there's other lawyers like you in the United States, in Canada, in the UK, or is this sort of pretty unique to Australia, what you're doing? No, no, of course. There's lawyer. I've actually got contacts in the States of lawyers that I know how they operate. Instagram's very powerful medium for, for networking, communicating these days. But no, there are lawyers like this. There are other lawyers like this in Australia. I'm not the right lawyer for everybody. I expect you to collaborate with me. I want to have a conversation with you about your drafts to make sure we get them right. I want to know how it is. You, what do you think about this? Now, that's not for everyone. 
some people think, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse than sitting down having a, a session like that with a lawyer. And that's okay. There's lawyers out there for you that sell their templates, but that's not me. So there are other lawyers that operate um, in different ways to the traditional law firm. You just need to find one that you align with, that you vibe with, that you're in sync with and you feel good with and someone that you trust and you're home. You've got your lawyer. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Where can Aussie listeners find you? What's the best way? Either my website or Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. So my website is tmsolicitor.com.au and my Instagram handle is at tmsolicitor. Fantastic. I'll add links to those in the show notes. Now, if there's a Canadian, UK or US photographer that wants some more details or maybe you can recommend someone, should we do that inside my members' Facebook group or should they contact you directly? However, I'm always happy to help. If someone reaches out and asks me a question, I'll help if I can. Unreal. Awesome. Thank you. I've got two quick questions or two questions I really want to ask you just to finish with. Uh, Have you got time for those? I do. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you're thinking, geez, he should have asked me that and he hasn't. He's leaving the listeners short here. No, there's not, Andrew. You have been a fabulous interviewer and the questions you've asked I think are so practical and relevant for so many photographers. So no, nothing. I think we've covered off all the really all the really juicy parts and all the really relevant parts. Okay, I'm so glad you said that because it leaves me a chance to ask the last question. Can you share some kind of a horror story, a small business horror story from your litigation days? Like is there an example that comes to mind where you think, oh my God, that poor business owner? Oh, there's so many. Um, Yes, partnerships. So I'm going to go into partnership with my best friend because we've been best friends for so long. We get along so well and we're going to do this together. And because we're friends, I don't need to go and get anything written up. We trust each other. Those are the highest risk because you've got so much to lose if things don't go right. And that's the friendship as well as the business. And so one particular example I'm thinking of is that exact scenario. And the friends had partners. And so then, of course, it wasn't just the two, it was four. And then they all had different ideas. And, of course, the time to think about documentation and going into a business like that at the beginning when there's plenty of love, like a marriage, you think about all the things because you don't think it'll ever go bad. So there's things they never talked about. And that means that six, 12 months in, it reached a point of no return where they weren't seeing eye to eye. I'm working harder than you. I thought you were going to do that, but I thought you were, but I did that, but my child's been sick. All the things, and no one was malicious. It's just best intentions, naive, didn't have a document guiding them, no agreement. In this case, it would have been a partnership agreement, no agreement. So as you can tell, um, friendship ended, business went down the drain, Assets were lost because there's a lot of money riding on this particular one. And that's an example I draw on all the time when I'm I'm giving context to people around things that could have been avoided. Now, had they have had a partnership agreement in place with somebody who knows how to draft them, you get asked all the questions. What are you going to do here? What are you going to do here? Oh, I never thought of that. Of course you haven't because I'm thinking devil's advocate. I'm thinking worst case, you're not. And then you nut it all out and it's there. So when things start happening, but I thought you were going to do this. No, we talked about that. It was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm putting in more work than you are. No, we've got it here. This is what we're both contributing. Oh, 
So good. It's a very different outcome. So those documents, honestly, my view is you can't afford not to have them. Yeah. Look, and that, that is the perfect example. And I was actually in a partnership with another photographer for a second studio up in Newcastle. We went and had a partnership agreement drawn up and it was like going to see it was like to go and have, uh, it was like going to have, uh, is, what is it called? Is it prenuptials? Prenup. Yeah, drawn yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah, that's and right. And they asked us all these questions that we had yeah. not considered. You know, what's the minimum exactly. uh, balance you're going to leave in the account? What's going to happen when it goes below that? Who's going to pay that? What happens if one partner yeah. dies? Can they bequeath the other part of the partnership? Yes, All exactly. these things. It was incredible. Exactly. So, and when it did end, when it was dissolved, it was easy to do because we had that agreement. And you maintained your relationship. Yeah, we're still friends. <laughs> yeah, see? And that's a good story. That's a good, happy ending. Last question, I promise. What do you think about partnerships in general? Do they work or don't work? Oh, it depends. I think if people spend the time in the detail at the beginning to understand the end in mind, the intention, who's going to do what, um, and if it's aligned, if it's documented properly, it has a chance of working. Right. If you were drawing up someone's agreement, would you say, would you tell them, listen, I haven't got a good feeling about this? Oh, I have done, yeah. I've actually said to people, you guys are already giving me mixed emotions or mixed feelings about this. I'm seeing red flags. This is the reason I'm seeing red flags. These are some examples I can draw on to give you of past experience I've had. Do you want to go and think about this? Yep. <laughs> and they've come back and said, we're not going right. ahead. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Saved a lot it's, of heartache. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Tracy, look, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to share this with listeners. And uh, yeah, you shared an absolute ton. Massive thanks. Oh, my pleasure, Andrew. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tracy as much as I did. Tracy, if you are listening, thank you again so much for giving up some time, for coming on the show, for sharing everything you did. You are amazing. What a solicitor. What a lawyer. Thank you again for diving deep and answering all the questions I put to you today. For you, the listener, I do hope there were a ton of takeaways. I'd love to hear your feedback on what Tracy had to share. Do you have those three legal documents in place for your business? Are you likely to pursue a solicitor and have them draw up those documents like Tracy talked about? Or do you think, ah, no, I'll just run with what I've got. It's good enough. Again, I'd love to hear your feedback. Is what Tracy shared relevant to you and your business? Or is it just food for thought? Let me know in the comments area. You can do that in the show notes for today's episode, which you'll find at photobizx.com forward slash 539. Now in those show notes, I've got links to anything and everything that Tracy mentioned. It's all there in that one spot. And of course, if you are a premium member, we can continue the conversation there. I'll be adding Tracy into our members Facebook group so you'll have easy access if you have a follow-up question or something specific you want to put to Tracy that I didn't have a chance to. You can hit her up there inside the members Facebook group. And don't forget to let me know if you are based in another part of the world other than Australia, let me know if you'd like to hear from a solicitor, a lawyer in your country or from your country who knows your law more specifically, or if you had more than enough info from what Tracy had to share today. Let me know so I can tailor the content of the podcast to you and for you. Alrighty, that is just about going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. It is Sunday morning here. I'm actually recording the intro and outro a day earlier than usual. Linda, my beautiful wife, is away on a hen's weekend. Uh, if you haven't heard, my eldest son, Matthew, is getting married in December, early December, to 
his beautiful fiancée, Lauren, and they and all their friends are away in Newcastle for what was well, what looked like a big night from what I saw. I saw some photos this morning. Uh, they're recovering from hangovers and a night of dancing and singing by the look of it. Uh, they actually went out to, I think it was called Picasso, Picasso and something. It's anyway, that all the girls, they go in and they, they paint <laughs> they get taught how to paint so I, I don't know what sort of artwork I'm going to be seeing when Linda comes home and if she's going to want to be hanging in the home but uh, yeah so her and the girls were away painting drinking champagne lots of champagne I know there was dinner more drinks and dancing after that so yeah by all accounts it was a, a great evening for them so all that to say it's very quiet here it's raining so I didn't get to go racing on my bike this morning there's no golf so I thought you know what I'm going to jump in here and start talking to you about you and photography and your business and share this interview with Tracy today. I'll get it all ready today, which may mean an extra round of golf tomorrow or some extra cycling or maybe maybe some extra time with Linda. I should have maybe said that first. Anyway, tomorrow is going to be more relaxing seeing that I've gone in and done some work today. Alrighty, look, hope to see you on the live training with Audra Harris on the Convert Your Leads, sorry, on the Qualify Your Leads Like a Pro training later this week. Go and check that out at photobizx.com forward slash qualify if you haven't. Big thanks again to Tracy for coming on and sharing her legal advice. I'm saying in air quotes. And for you, I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. Stay safe, healthy, and well, and I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 